You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from Psalm 22, the verses 1 through 18. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And now if you will turn with me to our text, our text which comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, the verses 23 And 24, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. As you might expect, these last few chapters and verses of the Gospel of John describing Jesus' death on the cross are some of the most thought about and interpreted verses in all of church history. If you were to obtain various commentaries on John's gospel, you would find that these verses, verses 23 and 24 of chapter 19, are subject to a variety of interpretations. I want to make you aware of some of those interpretations this afternoon, but let us first begin with the points of our text that almost all commentaries would agree with. First, just about everyone would agree that the mentioning of the soldiers 
brackets our text. That the soldiers which are mentioned in verse 23 at the beginning, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, and the soldiers that are mentioned at the very end of verse 24. So this is what the soldiers did. They bracket our text and these verses into their separate unit. A second thing that almost everyone would agree with is to recognize the significance of the quote from Psalm 22, verse 18. At the time of writing, John was using the Greek version of the Old Testament, and he has recorded that verse almost exactly word for word from the Greek Septuagint as he quotes it here. This makes the Gospel of John unique. For in the other Gospels, we are told that Jesus' clothes were taken from him. We were told that they were divided and split by way of lots. But John's Gospel is the only Gospel that records for us a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 18, indicating the fulfillment of this verse of the psalm. But what is not agreed upon concerning these points is how to interpret them. Most interpreters go down the line of something like this. They point out that the quote from Psalm 22, verse 18, is taking on the form of A, what's more B, poetry. What does that mean? That means in a poetic line, such as we find in the Psalms, quite often the poetic lines are written in such a way that the author is stating something in the first part of the line, A, and in the second part of the line, B, he states something more about the same thing. So, in this poetic line, the first line reads, They divided my garments among them. And what's more, B, how did they divide the garments? They cast lots for my clothing. Now, this is important. Because when we understand the poetic uh, structure of these two lines, and we understand it in terms of A, what's more B, what we are saying then is that the garments in the first line and the clothing in the second line are the same piece of clothing and cloth. And so if we are going to say that, and conclude that concerning the clothing of Jesus, then we have to understand then what John is doing in verse 23. Because in verse 23, John records for us that there are two pieces of clothing. The first piece of clothing, we're told, in verse 23, was divided into four shares, one for each of them, but the undergarment was remaining. This undergarment, we're told, was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They decided not to tear the second piece of clothing, verse 24, and they determined to decide by lot who would get it. So while the other Gospels record one piece of clothing, and some record that it was divided by lots, and the quote from Psalm 18 indicates that there is one piece of clothing, why then 
does the Gospel writer of John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, record two pieces of clothing at the cross as Jesus hung on the cross? Well, as you can imagine, there are different interpretations as to what this might mean. The first interpretation, which goes back as far as 300 A.D., is interpreted like this. The reason the Gospel writer of John records these two pieces of clothing is because he is symbolically teaching us something that the other Gospels already teach us. That he tells us in verse 23 that the piece of clothing was divided into four, one for each of them, because this is indicating that the Gospel, what Christ is doing on the cross must go to the four ends of the earth. That Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave must be proclaimed to the four winds of the earth. North, south, east, and west. From this point on, from Calvary, the Gospel will be proclaimed by the disciples and His church to the very ends of the earth. And that gospel continues to be proclaimed till this very day. Thus, John records for us, according to this interpretation, that it was divided into four, indicating and teaching us the same thing. The second garment, according to this interpretation, indicates the unity of the church. We're told that it was the undergarment We're told at the end of verse 23 that this garment was seamless and it was woven in one piece from top to bottom and they decide not to tear it. Thus, the second garment, which is one whole piece, indicates the unity of the church. That the gospel in the first garment will be proclaimed throughout the earth, north, south, and east, and west. And the second garment indicates that though the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world, the church will be united in Jesus Christ and what has happened here on the cross. And no one can tear the church apart. You see, the Roman soldiers decided not to tear it. Not even the power of Rome can break apart the unity of Christ's church. They belong to Him. And no harm can come to His church in which it is pulled apart and destroyed by a foreign power. So goes this interpretation. Now as we carefully consider it and these particular verses we can conclude that all of that is true, can't we? The other Gospels teach us those very same things. Throughout the other Gospels, Jesus teaches us that the Gospel will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, to the four winds of heaven. We know from the other Gospels and other parts of Scripture about the unity of the church and that no one can tear apart the church of Christ which is unified in Him because they all belong to Him forever and ever and are united in His death and resurrection. But is that really 
why the gospel writer of John uniquely records for us these two garments. I don't believe that is so. That then brings us to a second interpretation in the history of the church. This second interpretation focuses on the second garment that John uniquely records. And this interpretation goes along the lines that the garment is described as seamless, as woven in one piece from top to bottom. This is the garment and the clothing of the Old Testament high priest. Thus, as John records this second detail, uniquely from the other Gospels, the purpose of John telling us about the second garment is so that we would recognize and understand the high priestly office of Christ. That Christ died on the cross as our once-for-all sacrifice. That He is the high priest once for all that God has sent, who paid for our sins and who is now seated in heaven on high and continues to function as our high priest forever and ever. And so just as John records in verse 19 about Jesus' kingly office, do you see it? Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Verse 19. As verse 19 directs us, according to this interpretation, to the fact that Jesus is fulfilling the office of king, so is the second garment directing us to see that Jesus is fulfilling the office, the Old Testament office of high priest. Now again, according to this interpretation, everything about that is true. We know from the other parts of Scripture that Jesus fulfills the office of Old Testament king. We know from the other parts of Scripture that Jesus fulfills the office of the priesthood. But we also know from the rest of Scripture that Jesus fulfilled the office of prophet. And if John's purpose is to connect us with the three Old Testament offices, why then is there no mention in these verses or the surrounding verses about the office of prophet? So again, well, everything about this interpretation is true in terms of the rest of Scripture and what Scripture teaches us. Is that really why the Gospel writer of John uniquely records the second garment? Well, perhaps these interpretations have left you a bit frustrated. Perhaps you want to go along with the Hollywood interpretation. From a movie dated to the 1950s, Hollywood came out with a movie called The Robe. And The Robe portrays the garment as something magical or perhaps having some kind of magical power. And the movie describes... Uh, one of the Roman leaders in his search for this garment, hoping to obtain the power or the magic that somehow belongs to it. No, we do not want to go the route 
of saying that this is about the four winds of heaven and the unity of the church. No, we do not want to go down the route of saying that this is recorded for the high priesthood of Christ. And certainly, we do not believe there is any magical power in the garment of Jesus. But if we are going to reject all these interpretations, how then should we interpret this portion of Scripture? The key to understanding these verses is found in the psalm that is quoted in verse 24. The heading of Psalm 22 tells us that King David wrote that psalm. And as we go back again to Psalm 22, the theme of that particular psalm is our Lord's humiliation. As as David describes his own humiliation, a humiliation which is fulfilled in our Savior as he hangs on the cross, listen again to particular verses I want to read from Psalm 22, beginning at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Now go to verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me and they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots. For my clothing. When the gospel writer of John saw what was taking place on the cross, what thoughts came to his mind was not about preaching the gospel to the four winds of the earth or the high priestly office of Christ. What came to his mind as he recorded the details of the two garments was the humiliation of our Lord as he hung on the cross. The humiliation of taking his garments and having him hang on the cross naked. Do you see how carefully this gospel writer records these details? He doesn't simply tell us, and Jesus hang on the cross naked. For if he had said it in such a way in the history of the church, this verse would have been a Piece of ridicule for the unbeliever. But very carefully, he records a detail that no other gospel writer records. 
that yes, they took his outer garment and they divided up into four. But his undergarment remained. And they took that too. It's not the kind of thing that we like to think about, is it? When you walk into a Roman cathedral and you see the crucifix hang, there is always a garment on the body of the Savior. It is the kind of thing that when you think about it and reflect on it, you think back to that story of of Noah who came out of the ark and and, and had gotten drunk after planting a vineyard. And one of the sons, Ham, mocking him at his nakedness, and the other sons covering their eyes and, and covering their father. That's what you want to do when you reflect on what this passage is saying. Our Savior is hanging, humiliated, on the cross. When you reflect on the verses from Psalm 18, and you notice what is said in verse 17, I can count all my bones, my people stare and gloat over me. Our Savior and His nakedness has become a point of entertainment for those who observed Him hanging on the cross. As He hangs on the cross naked as part of His humiliation, He is treated not as a person, but as an object of scorn for those who walked by. And as you think of it, you do not want to think of your Savior, of our Lord, being treated this way. As you think of it, you want to cover your eyes. It saddens you to see that soldiers would degrade a human being in this way. But if it causes you as a believer to be disgusted at what they did to your Savior, it should disgust you to see what others do who treat human beings in the same way. When it comes on your television screen, when it comes on your movie screen, when you see it in the pornographic industry that is displayed in the Internet, you see human beings being treated as objects of entertainment and ridicule and mockery. And if it disgusts you that they did this to our Savior, it should disgust you, disgust you that you see them doing it to other humans. 
But is this the only reason that the Gospel writer of John records these details? Is he simply carefully recording these details about the two garments so that we would become disgusted about the humiliation of our Lord and so we wouldn't do it either? That's one reason. But he has a second reason as well. As the Gospel writer of John is about to to quote from Psalm 22, he states this, This happened so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. At creation, the first Adam with his wife was in the garden and they were naked with one another without shame. When they ate of the tree and sin came into their lives, they tried to cover themselves with with fig leaves. But as they stood before a holy God, the fig leaves were not adequate. Instead, God had to make coverings for them. And leaves were not enough. For blood had to be shed. And God made coverings for them out of animal skins so they could approach Him and have a relationship with Him. And now as our Savior hangs on the cross. This second Adam goes to the cross and must be humiliated. He must hang on the cross, the Gospel writer of John tells us, naked. He must be exposed, not for his sins, but for the sins of his people. And because He hangs upon the cross, you do not have to. Because He was naked and exposed, you are covered. Because His blood was shed, when you stand before a holy God, you do not stand with inadequate coverings, but your sins are covered and washed away and you are forgiven. The Gospel writer of John carefully records for us the details about these two garments to bring out our Savior's humiliation, to bring about our Savior's nakedness on our behalf so that we would know that the curse for our sin and for the sins of His people has been paid for and washed away and they are made new. And for all of those who believe in this Savior by faith, they belong to Him, they live for Him, and they have everlasting life.
but for those who see no hope, for those who do not identify with His righteousness and His suffering on their behalf, they have no part with Him and they stand naked before a holy God. This is your Lord. This is your glory. Look at Him and see your salvation. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.